to Crimes from the East. I'm your host, Pia, and with me is Alex. Hello, Alex. Coming in hot for the first time in five years with real live actual Wi-Fi. Wow, you have Wi-Fi now. Fiber. Fibre. Whatever. I don't know. Fiber? Optic? Is Fiber that- optic. That's better than what I have. So congratulations, Alex. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Finally joined the uh, modern age. That's excellent. So today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a case that is a little more serious. We take on a somber tone and we deal with a very sensitive case that rocked India in the winter of 2019. And there is fair mention of elements involving sexual assault and other statistics about violence against women in India. So listener discretion is highly advised. Big time trigger warning. Yes, I definitely want to put that in like we did in our earlier episodes. This is a serious one. So we are not going to have the usual silly banter (laughs) that we do. This episode is made in collaboration with Ogilvy's DNA Fights Rape Social Awareness Campaign, which is about DNA evidence and its importance in the conviction of violent criminals. I'll give you more information about that campaign later on in the episode. Right at the top, I wanted to mention that the sources of information for this episode are all news articles in the public domain, mostly India Times, Times of India, Times Now, Deccan Chronicle, The Hindu, etc. With all that out of the way, Alex, are you ready to get into today's case? Yeah, these ones are hard. These ones are harder. These ones are really hard. Yeah. I don't know. There's always like a level of sort of stupidity but it's it's easier to make fun of the other types of crimes other types of crimes and And the criminals criminals, whereas this is just scary and and it's not as if these crimes don't occur in south asia they do it's just that i choose not to cover them for the most part because it's hard yeah it's very hard for me to research all of them and i absorb it all and then it just it just (laughs) affects me a lot and That's why we do this, you know, once in a blue moon. We do this rarely. Yeah. These stories do need to be told. And that's why we kind of pick and choose the timing and the cases so that it's easier for our listeners as well. Yeah. So I was going to ask, and maybe like there isn't an answer to be given right away, but I was wondering if there was a reason that we're covering this specific case because there are unfortunately so many, so, so, so many cases like this in India specifically, but also just in the world in general. Yeah. Was there something that maybe stood out to you in this case? Well, first off, it was recent. So this case is from 2019, right? Okay. I was visiting India at that time and I saw it on TV. Mm -hmm. Well, the part that I saw, we'll talk about it later, actually. So I will come back to your question right at the end of the episode and expand further on that. But I think the first thing was the timing of it because it is in 2019 and it was such a big case. Yeah. Okay. So widely discussed in public, in the news and in public. So I, I picked this case. So with that, Let's look into the rape and murder of 26-year-old Disha by multiple perpetrators on the night of November 27, 2019. Disha, the word Disha in Hindi means direction or one who shows the way. And the victim's 
name in this case in the media has been mentioned as Disha, but that is not her real name. It is the name given to her publicly by the police and her family. It is illegal to mention or publicize the name of any victim of sexual assault in India, especially if the family requests not to. Uh-huh. We do not know nor choose to seek out the real identity of Disha. Okay. And as we have mentioned before, there are layers of subtle and blatant stigmatization that go hand in hand with rape victims, yeah. um, as well as their families in most of South Asia. Let's get into the case. On November 27, 2019, at around 6 p.m. in the evening, Disha parked her red scooter near Tondupalli Toll Plaza in Shamshabad on the Nehru Outer Ring Road just outside of Hyderabad. Now, Hyderabad is the capital city of the southern Indian state of Telangana. It is one of the IT hubs of India, so there's a lot of call centers, etc. in Hyderabad. And it's also the fourth most populous city in India, so it's pretty dense. Question. Yeah. Is Cyberabad? <laughs> yeah, Cyberabad. Yep. Is that like a nickname or is that an actual place? Is that like calling it the Silicon City of... It's like Hyderabad is actually Cyberabad. What's happening here? I'm confused. Very good question. I had to look it up. So Cyberabad is kind of like a nickname given to the area inside of Hyderabad where the IT companies and other tech companies really? are lo- oh located. Gosh, that's cute. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute, isn't it? Cyberabad. Yeah, I like it. It doesn't roll off the tongue, but it no. looks funny. Yeah, like when you see the word written down, it's like, haha, cyber. Cyberabad. So it's the fourth most populous city in India with almost 7 million residents. Almost 10 million residents in, you know, in total, if you count all the surrounding satellite cities and everything. Mm-hmm. And it has an output of 74 billion U.S. dollars. Whoa. Billion Damn. U.S. dollars. Money. It has an excellent economy. The city itself, like the newer construction in the city, is just beautiful. Back in the day, like decades ago, it was one of the cities that had wide highways. The roads were amazing. It was well-planned. And mm-hmm. They had nice buildings. It was great. I, I went there in the early 2000s. And I was quite amazed because I used to live in Pune City at that time, which is just a total mess if you look at it. (laughs) It's more organic. More organic, very little city planning. It just doesn't make sense. So Hyderabad was like amazing to me. I was like, wow, you can live like this? Like cities can be this nice? Yeah, I'm going to go. All in all, it's a happening city. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people, lots of people, good and bad. On that day, Disha was traveling on the outer ring road. So basically, there are huge ring roads outside of the city to kind of circumvent traffic. Yeah, that's what we have in Paris. Well, in France in general, all the cities have rings too. Yeah, the ring road system. Yeah, exactly. So she went to a toll plaza. Toll booths? Toll booths, kind of like toll booths, yes. You know, the kind where you have easy passes, you just drive through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a toll plaza is similar to a rest stop okay. in the American context near a toll checkpoint where trucks and other vehicles can park and they rest and they sleep for the night, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. 
And a lot of the stop vehicles there are waiting to get clearance to carry commercial goods beyond that checkpoint. So the right amount of tax and fees, etc. need to be paid before they can enter or exit the city. And that's why they have these kind of toll booths and toll plazas near ring roads, which make it a good spot for these trucks to stop. Mm -hmm. And it is also a good spot for cabs and buses to pick up passengers that are either entering or leaving that part of the city. So it's just a natural stop for all kinds of vehicles. And this is precisely why Disha parked her scooter there. She hailed a cab from the toll plaza to visit a derm, a dermatologist, in a city called Gachiboli. I apologize to any native Telugu speakers if I'm saying these these names wrong. <laughs> I'm trying my best. <laughs> so Gachiboli is 26 kilometers or 16 miles away from the toll plaza. Okay. And that was too much for her to drive or ride on her scooter. So she caught a cab from there. She was going to her derm seeking treatment for acne, basically. Okay. Or acne scars. And this is so me at that age. This is what I was doing. I was doing the same exact things. I was going to the derm and fixing my scars. And, you know, you're anxious about your appearance. Yeah. And you feel a little insecure. And you're like, in your head, although I never really wanted to get married. But in your head, these are the things that go through it. You know, I'm going to get married soon. Yeah. I want to look good for my pictures. Whatever. She's 26 years old. Like, yes. she's... You said she was a veterinary, a vet, right? Yeah. So she has probably like a steady income source. She wants to spend it to like, you know, treat herself, feel good, be a independent, beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I related so much to this when I read that, because these are exactly the things yeah. that I did at that age. I spent my whole salary on seeking out really expensive derm treatments because I was living at home with my parents, so I didn't have any real expenses, so to speak. Especially these kinds of stories, whenever they start with the, like, victim just out doing something innocuous, like, normal, everyday life, like, showing any sign of independence in India, to me, that's just heartbreaking because... They should be able to do that without having to think about, you know, something batshit crazy happening to them. Most of us don't think much about doing things like this. Ordinary errands that don't warrant any extra precautions. You're just being yourself, doing stuff. It's a normal yeah. day to you. You know, you shouldn't have to be on the alert 24-7 all the time. Disha boarded the cab at the toll plaza and she left a little after 6.15 p.m. On her way there, she spoke to her mother, telling her she only wanted to eat watermelon for dinner that night. Then she asked her mom if she had taken her medications for the mm. day, you know, mm -hmm. the ever-caring daughter. But unbeknownst to her, eyes were watching Disha that evening. Lustful, malicious, evil eyes that followed Disha's every move and anticipated her return, possibly later that night when the toll plaza would mm -hmm. be deserted. Evil, criminal intent sprang into action and was about to darken the future of a young woman. At around 9.15 p.m., Disha returned to the Tondupalli toll plaza and tried to start her scooter up so she could get out of there as quick as possible. It's dark, it's kind of desolate, you don't want to hang around there. However, she found that 
the tires on her scooter were completely flat. They were punctured and rendered her bike mm-hmm. unusable. In that moment, Disha must have truly felt afraid being alone yeah. on a dark road. Yeah. Although it's just next to a busy toll booth. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're a woman. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Even if there are 300 people there, but they're all men and you're the all only men. woman. Oh my God. No, 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 no. You're alone. Nope. You're alone. Nope. There really is no place that is truly safe at night for women, especially in India. Yeah. Feeling that way, she called her younger sister using her cell phone and told her about her predicament. Disha told her sister that she had gotten on her scooter and started the bike to leave. But four men shouted out to her from behind that her rear tire is punctured and that she wouldn't be able to drive like that. And although she said, no, it's fine, I'm going to try, they had actually held on to the back (sighs) of the bike and insisted that they help fix the tire. I mean, at that point, your bike isn't really moving and there are four guys behind you. You are already feeling cornered and threatened, right? So you're going to kind of not confront them. You're going to avoid confrontation. She quickly got off the bike and then that's when she okay. called her sister because she Can I ask him. a quick question before we continue? Do we have any idea why she did these two different modes of transportation to go to the derm? No. It doesn't mention in any of the articles why she did I mean, that. it doesn't matter, but it's just like it sucks. It possibly maybe to save time and money because or maybe cabs don't enter the city beyond the ring road because they have to pay all kinds of taxes Mm. and stuff right if you sit in the cab beyond the toll booth it probably saves you another 100 200 rupees because now the cab driver doesn't have to pay the toll either so he won't charge you for it It maybe something like that that's when she called her sister when they got off the bike and she told her sister that she was okay but she was very afraid of the men staring at her from the shadows She said that one of them had taken her bike away to get it repaired. (gasps) No. Just took it away. Like, I'll get it repaired. Don't you worry. And like I said before, you don't want to confront them because you're alone. You know you're very alone. You're suddenly very aware of how alone and vulnerable you are. And she really had no choice. Actually, she had no choice. And so she just must have said, okay, sure, take take my bike, whatever. She's talking to her sister on the phone. So she asked her sister to keep talking to her on the phone till he returned with the bike because she felt incredibly unsafe with those men around. Her sister asked her to call for another cab at once and leave for home, leaving the bike over there. And Disha agreed with her. She said, okay, I'll call you back. And this is where the six minute, 45 second call ended. Sadly, that call back never came. And Disha's sister never heard her sister's voice again. When her sister tried to call her 15 minutes later, Disha's phone was switched off and her family were not able to get in touch with her. God, that must have been so scary. Like for the family, because they actually must know that something bad is happening as it's happening. That just must have been. (gasps) She told her, I'm alone. There are these four guys. He took my bike away. 
Disha knew something was wrong, right? Her instincts were already so high. She was on yeah. alert anyway. She knew something was wrong. She called her sister. And yes, I imagine her sister and her family must have totally understood the situation and, and had known that yeah. something is wrong. They immediately left their home and headed for the toll plaza, which took yeah. a little time because it wasn't like right near their home. And they reached the toll plaza at around 10 20 p.m. So it's about the family went themselves. Okay, damn. Yes, they went to the toll plaza and looked everywhere, but they found no trace of Disha. Only just 45 minutes later, they couldn't find her bike, Mm -hmm. they couldn't find her. They approached the police station another half an hour Mm -hmm. later because they had to look for the police station, right? You don't just know where it is. This Tondupali toll plaza is located right near the Rajiv Gandhi International Airport. So the police station that they found closest to the toll plaza was this RGIA police station. It's located directly on the highway and it's close to the toll plaza. But the cops there, instead of helping the family, refused to lodge a case because they said it's not under their jurisdiction. come on. This is an utter failure of the system. And it shows a lackadaisical, apathetic attitude yeah. of these men in khakis, supposed to protect the yeah. people of India. If an FIR or first information report is refused on the ground of jurisdiction, it is still mandatory for the police officers to record information about the commission of a cognizable offense and forward that same report to the police station having proper jurisdiction. Otherwise, it amounts to dereliction of duty. So it isn't up to the family to run around trying to find which police station, you know, covers this jurisdiction. Because in your mind, this is the closest one, so it must cover this area, right? Plus, it's like a crime potentially happening in the moment you know it's like an urgent situation so it shouldn't be like oh no we don't deal with that it should be like okay well, we have to find whoever is supposed to deal with this now and we need to start dealing with the situation now because like time is mm-hmm. of the essence she's essentially a missing person right at this point best case exactly. scenario Indians are familiar with these evasion tactics Mm -hmm. from police. And so Disha's family went to the Shamshabad police station where the RGI police station guys directed them to. And they asked for help there. The cops at both these stations were just apathetic. They questioned the family if perhaps Disha had a secret boyfriend and had eloped with him. Perhaps... Not really being missing after all. It's always, oh, she's just run off. Like, when does anyone actually ever do that? They do that, but it's definitely not that common. And this shouldn't be the first thing you think of. You you come to that conclusion after you searched. It's been days. You found no other traces. The phone has been traced and it's in some other location. Whatever. Once you've done your diligent duty... Okay, then you can come up with all these speculations, the not first, at yeah. the moment the family comes there. This is just <sighs> bullshit. It boggles my mind because they had concrete mm-hmm. information. They had concrete information about where she was mm-hmm. last seen. 
It's not as if she left her home in the morning at seven and was gone, right? They yeah, knew. And, and she would like called her sister and said, I'm in trouble. I'm scared. Like, clearly, there was enough information for them to have at least started looking for her. There was a trace, but police were inept or just unbothered. I don't know. I don't know what their problem was, but it's pathetic. It was 3 a.m. by the time two constables were sent with the family to search the toll plaza. 3 a.m. Disha told her sister she was feeling unsafe at around 9.20. It's 3 a.m. when the cops finally go with the family to search the toll plaza. They didn't find Disha. There was no sign of her or the red scooter. Disha was gone. At 8 a.m. the Mm -hmm. next morning, 10 hours after Disha's last phone call, a milkman returning from his delivery route near the Chatanapalli underpass noticed something sticking out of a bonfire he had seen there earlier. It was a human hand. Soon, word reached the Shamshabad police station and the family was taken to the spot by the police where, much to their horror, they found the burnt remains of a young female victim. There was no means of identifying this body because of the burns, but they noticed that she was wearing a gold pendant on a necklace, and the pendant was that of the Hindu god Ganesha. This is how Disha's remains were identified right there by her sister, as it lay smoldering (gasps) below the underpass. Other items found there were also identified as Disha's, a torn scarf, and the buckle from her purse. Now, what a horrible thing for the family to have to witness. I'm at a loss. I I, I don't know. Did the police think this was a good idea? Do they they have zero sensitivity training? But how are you supposed to, like, how are you supposed to handle... I'm obviously not the way that they did, but how are you supposed to... The family should never have been allowed to see the remains in, in that, that condition, condition yeah. right? Once it's taken into the morgue and the coroner can remove the pendant, put the necklace, you know, on a tray and show that to the family, have them identify that, right? Because eventually DNA is what helps to identify right. the victim. There was just no need for the family to see her in that state. Can you imagine the trauma <gasps> from that? No. As the family mourned their incredible loss, the police suddenly snapped into action. They were now determined to find the killers because the public was outraged. The news had spread all over town, all over Hyderabad, as well as the national news media channels. The cops suddenly had a fire under their butt to get going. Ten teams were deployed all through the Shamshabad and Tondupalli areas to search and question along the highway. Disha's bike was found by the road near the underpass with the key missing. Near the toll plaza, just 100 meters away, police found in a vacant lot by the highway, women's underwear strewn about as well as an empty bottle of whiskey. The emergency line for police in India is Ek Shunya Shunya or Mm -hmm. 100, 100. There was a call on this emergency number from a petrol pump employee who reported that two men had come into the gas station in Nandigama on the night of November 27th, asking for petrol, 
petrol is what gas is called in India. I mean, that's the technical name is petrol, but in the US, we call it Uh gas. He reported that two guys had come in looking for petrol in a plastic bottle. Now, this is illegal in India. You can only buy loose petrol or gas in jerry cans, which are the right material to carry gas in. Gas can actually dissolve Plastic. plastic. Yeah, so it's illegal to buy it. But the practice of buying and selling in plastic bottles is still rampant. I can imagine. There was even a case when a petrol pump owner was arrested and held culpable for a murder committed with the help of petrol that was sold to the killer in a plastic bottle illegally from that gas station. should cover that case. Sounds kind of interesting. And due to this, several owners have now put up notices at the pumps and asked their employees to exercise caution. They've been told if something seems suspicious, don't sell it. Okay, so that's why he called the cops. But did he sell the petrol and then call the cops? No, no. So when news of these burnt remains being discovered spread on the local media channels that morning, the petrol pump employee felt like he needed to report the incident that he had witnessed because he thought it might be related. That night at around midnight, a young man had approached that employee and asked for half a gallon of petrol. The pump employee asked the young man why he needed it, to which he replied that his car had broken down 10 kilometers or 6 miles away, which was suspicious, incredibly suspicious, because there were at least 10 other petrol pumps between wherever he said the car was and this petrol pump. So why had he come Mm. all this way? And that's what he asked him. He said, why did you come all the way here? There are so many other petrol pumps that would have given Mm -hmm. you this gas. So... The young man had no straight answers and he kept speaking vaguely, making excuses. He appeared to be under a lot of stress and was behaving rather suspiciously. So the employee refused to sell this to him and he watched the young man get on a red scooter with another man. And because he thought something was off, the petrol pump employee followed on foot to see where they were going. And he saw that a truck was traveling alongside these guys. On the red bike. So this tip-off by the employee is what ultimately cracked the case in that short period because the police now looked at the CCTV footage from that pup. The perps were seen riding Disha's red scooter. (gasps) So that was her scooter. Yes, that was her scooter. And I guess they fixed the tire. Oh. Police then looked at the CCTV footage of the toll plaza and the surrounding businesses noticed that there was a truck and Disha scooter driving together away from the toll plaza. A sketch was also made of that young perp and on further inquiries, the police traced the men to a village in the outskirts of Narayan Pit. They were caught within 48 hours of the murder. The truck's plates and other symbols on the truck were identified on CCTV mm-hmm. leaving from the toll plaza because usually the CCTVs at toll plazas are of good quality. They want to catch all those tax yeah. evaders. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so they have good CCTV there. So once they knew the truck plates, they called the owner mm-hmm. of the truck. The owner told them about who he had given the mm-hmm. truck to drive. That's how they knew, okay, we're looking for so-and-so guy, the the driver of the truck. The four men arrested were Muhammad Arif, 
aged 26, who was the driver okay. of the truck. Chenna Kesavalu, aged 20. Siva and Naveen, also both aged okay. 20. So the older men were the truck drivers and the two younger men were cleaners. Usually these are assistants to a driver and they sit in the passenger yeah. seat. They clean the truck, they load goods, and they keep the driver company okay. on long trips. That's what the other two guys were doing. The suspects were kept in very high-profile, secure jail cells because the public had erupted in a fury that was getting harder to contain. Outside the police stations were masses of protesters chanting for the suspects to be either hanged or handed over mm. to the public. It was slowly becoming uncontrollable. News of this murder was ripping through the country like wildfire. Women were now calling into the Hyderabad police station with their concerns about their own safety and asking what measures mm -hmm. the cops are going to take to ensure safety of women. For the next few days, Hyderabad was a ghost town after dark. People were staying in. No one had the guts to go yeah. out at night because this crime had totally taken over the psyche yeah. of the city. Over the course of six days, the police interrogated the suspects who confessed, and they laid out the gruesome crime that they had committed. Arif, the driver, was carrying bricks from Karnataka to Hyderabad in his truck, but the receiver of the load was unreachable. So he had parked the truck at the toll plaza, and he was waiting to hear from whoever mm -hmm. the customer was. He met up with the three other suspects there while he waited. And the men consumed alcohol, getting more drunk by the hour. At around 6 p.m., they saw Disha parking her bike. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do. They're just sitting mm -hmm. there drinking. They see a woman park her bike. Now, they knew that any trip in and out of this ring road highway area would take at least a couple of hours, right? It wouldn't be too hard for them to guesstimate that by the time Disha would return, it would be dark and desolate. Especially if she gets there at 6 p.m. It's already kind of dark outside. They decided to entrap and sexually assault Disha right then. What kind of gross conversation is that even? I don't even want to imagine it. This was so clearly premeditated. It was not something that just happened. They planned this. They planned this. Yeah, that's what really gets me is that like she didn't realize when she got off of her bike and into the cab that her fate was already being messed with by some creeps in the background. So the men punctured the bike's tires and they waited to execute their dastardly plan. They waited from 6.15 to 9.15, mm -hmm. three mm -hmm. hours. They waited three mm -hmm. hours getting more drunk as time went on. Oh my God. And so when Disha arrived at 9.15, she tried to leave on her bike, but they talked her or forced her or threatened her into letting them help her fix the bike. Just after she hung up the call with her sister, they approached her again. Arif gave her his cell phone number to gain her confidence. Right? Because he's like, here's my number, you know, blah, 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 whatever, just to get close to her. Yeah. And then they lured her a little further using her bike as bait. The conversation may have gone something like, all right, you know, your bike is here. Let's go. We'll take you to your bike. But once mm -hmm. they were in the shadows, they grabbed Disha and they dragged her away to that secluded spot. 
behind the line of empty trucks parked along the highway. There, they force-fed Disha alcohol and then took turns sexually assaulting her. Oh my God. The roaring of aircrafts from the nearby airport and the steady hum of traffic on the highway would drown out any screams at night in that area. But they still covered her mouth and nose to muffle her screams. This ended up suffocating her to death, and she passed away around 9.35 p.m. Three guys were assaulting her at this time. The fourth guy had gone away with the bike. Remember, he had actually taken the bike to get it fixed at a puncture repair shop. Okay. He returned with the bike. When he was told that Disha had died during the course of the rape, it made no difference to him. It didn't stop him from further desecrating her remains <gasps> by committing no. necrophilia with the corpse. Oh, no. This just goes to show how depraved these men were at this point. So the asphyxiation was kind of by accident? It appears that way. I couldn't find any mention of them admitting to planning her murder. Yeah. It may have been an accident. We we just really don't know. We just really don't know. Oh. If we had had further progress in the case, we may have found out. But as we will see soon, things didn't really go anywhere. The men wrapped up the body in a sheet. They put it in the truck that Arif was driving. And then mm-hmm. they drove to two petrol stations looking for fuel. They found the fuel at a second petrol station after the employee refused it at the Nandigama pump. They set the body on fire around 2 a.m. below the Chatanapalli underpass. Toxicology reports showed that alcohol was found in Disha's body. DNA reports received by the police showed that the seminal fluids found on Disha's scarf and underwear belonged to the four accused men. Disha's identity was also confirmed using DNA tests. And this is what I was talking about, right? The family did not have to be taken to that spot to look at smoldering remains to identify her. There was just no need. So I was thinking that maybe it was because they wanted to identify that body as soon as possible in case it wasn't hers so that they could move on to the next. You know what I mean? But there has to be a better way to do that. Yeah. Away from the body and then show them to the family, not still attached to the smoldering corpse. Don't take the family to the spot. No. You know, let them stay at the police station, take Mm. a picture, show him a picture of just whatever item it is. Yeah. That was recovered. I mean, this is 2019, right? Krishna. Allegedly. As per the commissioner of police of Cyberabad, the men confessed to having committed nine other rapes and murders in the adjoining regions in three different states. What? So they're serial rapers. As per the commissioner, right? Now, there were indeed at least six cold cases of burnt remains being found (gasps) of female victims in that area. So it's not hard to believe that they could have been responsible for them because they are truck drivers after yeah. all, right? They are usually the prime suspects in cases like this where you can't connect the murder to a suspect. They're like drifter killers getting paid. That's nuts. However, 
you do need more than just confessions to rightfully convict for such serious crimes. Confessions are never just enough. Never. Especially since I think you said at some point, too, that a lot of times the confessions get redacted or rescinded afterwards. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to trial, when lawyers get involved, probably. Yes. So there's confessions in front of police when they're in custody. And then there are official confessions which are done in front of a magistrate in court. Mm -hmm. So the second one is the one that is taken as official Mm evidence in any case because usually all suspects will rescind or redact their confessions done in custody they always claim they were coerced or tortured or brutalized by the police to say whatever they said Mm. but that eventuality of getting a conviction was never realized in this case because on december 6th merely a week after disha's murder The four suspects were killed in an encounter with the police during a crime scene reconstruction and evidence-gathering visit to the underpass. The police claim that the suspects, who were for some reason not handcuffed at all, had grabbed the cops' guns and started to fire at them, so they had to be shot in self-defense. There were more than a dozen police officers and four suspects. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Somehow they managed to get their guns and shoot at them. I don't know what their plan was because you have a dozen cops. Even if you get two guns, there are at least 10 other cops who can shoot at you. So it doesn't make sense. Even if it's true, it sounds like the situation was sort of set up for that to happen. In India, this is called an encounter. I mean, the word encounter is used in this context in India. You see it in a lot of movies, in a lot of Bollywood movies where cops will just take criminals that they want to get rid of for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and then claim it. they shot them in self-defense or Mm -hmm. they were running away or doing whatever. They literally take the suspect in their uh, jeeps, their police vans, whatever, open the door, push him out, push him out and be like, run. Run. And and the suspect knows what it means. They know that I'm going to be encountered right oh, now by the cops. shit. That's crazy. That's one way to circumvent the legal system, I suppose. Yeah. The public was absolutely overjoyed. They felicitated pictures of the police commissioner and fed sweets to all the cops on the street, oh hoisting God. them on their shoulders. Rejoicing the deaths of these cruel monsters, which is totally the opposite of what the public usually says or does regarding police. Yeah, yeah. There is a pattern of instant justice that we see here. Now, we can't say it was fair or not. We can't say that true justice was served because India is a democracy with a solid constitution in place. Mm -hmm. to mete out sentences in accordance to the laws of the land. Yes, yes, the judicial and legal system is overburdened beyond belief. Yes, it takes years, sometimes decades, to see court cases through. And yes, conviction rates are not high in cases of sexual assault or murder. But still, extrajudicial killings are perhaps not the solution Mm. right they're not the solution they don't solve crime they don't solve crime they don't have long-term effects they don't deter crime 
after a short period of time has passed. It only takes a moment to cross the line, and for many, there is little restraint or need for restraint in a highly patriarchal society, which treats women unfairly, seeing them more as objects than equals. That extrajudicial killing of a suspect is not going to have any effect on individuals like that. Yeah. It's just like responding to madness with madness, basically. Like we saw in the Hercules case that we covered, you know, in episode two, Alex. Yeah, way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. If that was an effort to curb rapes in Bangladesh, it sure didn't help at all. Mm-mm. It didn't mm-hmm. work. It never works. Studies have shown it never works. Mm-hmm. The whole minister of Telangana made a horrible comment, totally victim-blaming Disha, when he said, and I quote, Uh-oh. She's a doctor. She's educated. Why did she call her sister first? She should have called 100, which is the police emergency helpline first. That's what he said. Ah, well, seeing how his police (sighs) responded when the family came, it's not really inspiring much confidence. Yeah, just shut up with that idiotic and hurtful rhetoric. How about making sure your cops know how to handle these cases, like Alex just pointed out. And This is a prime example of the inane leadership in the country, which just doesn't help when it comes to crime rate, because these are the kind of people leading. I don't like it. So that was officially the end of the case today. There's really no justice. Visha lost her life. These four suspects lost their lives. Well, we'll never know the extent of their bad doing, right? Exactly. We will never know if they intended to commit murder, if it was an accident. We will never see them be, you know, given sentences. Perhaps they may have even gotten the death sentence, right? Because yeah. if that's what the public wanted, they everyone was chanting for them to be hanged. They may have been hanged. Just wait. Yeah. What's the need for just killing them and letting them out of misery right you want them to suffer if they are guilty you want them to suffer by shooting them in a field somewhere you've just ended their misery exactly no no. i mean (laughs) we shouldn't want anyone to suffer but if anyone's gonna suffer it should be these guys for example yeah Yeah. so let's talk a little bit about the ogilvy campaign that we are collabing with today okay the hashtag for the campaign is DNA Fights Rape. It is an initiative which aims to equip people with better knowledge about how preserving DNA evidence can make the path to justice easier for survivors and the families of deceased in such heinous assault murder cases. Okay. So one of the biggest challenge of survivor faces is improving the offense while relying on ocular evidence in court, right? Like when in reality, more often than not, there's just no eyewitness in such a case. Yeah. This makes collecting and preserving offender DNA more crucial and urgent. And a lot of people in India just don't know about that. They don't know about DNA and how it should be preserved. So bodily fluids, skin or nails, hair from the scene of the crime and from the survivor must be collected and stored for Mm -hmm. further analysis in the right manner. As this would be the most conclusive evidence that can lead to a conviction in court. Yeah. 
right? So DNA evidence must not be washed off. It must be saved because it is only natural for a survivor to want to wash it all off as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to preserve that DNA for it to be collected first in all cases like this. And that's the point of this campaign. The message of DNA Fights Rape is don't wash, don't clean, save the evidence. Okay. You can look for their hashtag and their Instagram account. Support them in any way you can. Share this news and their campaign posts. Talk to your friends and family about it. And not just your immediate circle of people, but also talk to those who don't necessarily have access to social media in the same way that you do, you know? Oh. If you have drivers, you have cooks, you know, you have house cleaners. Yes, we're talking to our more Indian audience right now. <laughs> yes, yes, of course, yes. I'm talking more to the South Asian, the Desi listeners, because these are all luxuries most of us cannot afford unless you're super rich. Yeah. Talk to them about it. You know, find some excuse. I don't know how you bring up this topic, but it can just be as blunt as it needs to be because it's important. Just everyone should be aware and maybe it will like deter and add to the culture of disgust against this kind of behavior and action. So if you want fear in the minds of criminals, perhaps this is the way. Spread the word. Yeah, exactly. It's 2021. You cannot hide. You can't hide. There's DNA evidence everywhere. Yeah. You will be found. You will be convicted. And also just that, like, although it's probably vast, vast majority of female and female identifying victims, there are still men and mm -hmm. male identifying victims. and. Everyone is going to have that feeling of violation after something like this happens to them. And everyone should know that resist that reflex. and Preserve the DNA. Even if something like this happens to you, like you can physically be your own piece of evidence in your own defense. Like, it's so hard to talk about. It is a huge population. It's 1.3 billion people. So, yes, there are a lot of cases, but the crime rate is not that high. The crime rate is 1.3% or something. I read on Wikipedia or something that it's actually one of the lowest rates in the world. Well, it may not be because there are lesser crimes in India. It's probably because they aren't reported. Not reported, yeah. Yes, yeah. because of the fear of stigma. It's just not reported. It's underreported. Yeah. We must try our best to offer support where needed and oppose ostracism whenever we come across it. So if you hear some auntie in your gully or your neighborhood talking shit, just in general, talking inappropriately about any kind of assault victim or their family, you shut it down. You tell auntie to shut the hell up. Get back in the kitchen, auntie. Go do the laundry. Sorry, that's wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right, so we don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, you shut it down when you encounter it. You don't stay silent. We must normalize the idea and access to therapy, counseling, etc. for yes. all survivors, for all survivors and their families. We need that, especially in South Asia, where it's considered almost a second level of stigma to seek therapy because yeah. you must be crazy if you're going to see, you know, a counselor or a shrink or something. No, that's not right. That's not right. 
we have to normalize it. It's taken a couple of years in the U.S. alone to make it normal. Yeah. That's not the case in South Asia yet. That's my one hope for India and, and the rest of South Asia. Normalize the idea and the access to therapy and counseling. It will come. If we can thank globalization for anything, it'll be for that kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. You had something to say, Alex? When you sent me this story, I sort of went deep into like a a hole of different cases like this. Because I remember back in like 2015, there was another huge case about a woman who was assaulted in a bus. And there was a like documentary made about it that sort of covered this sort of crime. And I remember just feeling so angry and like sad and affected by it. So I was looking into that and, and that led me into sort of this like, what does feminism look like in India? And that's a whole like, a huge whole topic. Um, like maybe another time we can talk more about it but I just wanted to highlight one little thing that I found that's like it's bad but it made me feel kind of good there's a one feminist activist named Sampat Pal Devi Mm -hmm. she was a former government worker mother of five who noticed domestic abuse and violence within her own community as she grew up in India. And as a result, she just started a vigilante group called the Gulabi Gang. Oh, yes. Yes, I know about her. They would track down abusers and beat them up with bamboo sticks until they felt satisfied that they had repented and the victims have been sufficiently avenged. And, like, that's definitely not the correct response but there's something about it that's like gratifying kind of satisfying yeah at least they didn't kill them yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and i just like kind of like i mean i bet if i saw it in real life i would not like it but the image in my head of like a group of women chasing down like a bad boy with some sticks is like it feels good yeah Um, there's actually a very good movie on that story oh Okay. And I was thinking about covering this story in a case. So we might do that. Cool. Yeah, we might do that because yes, it is one of those stories which makes you feel a lot more empowered. Yeah. It may not be the most legally sound recourse. Right. But, you know, there's a saying in Hindi, lato ke bhoot bato se nahi mante, which means, oh my god, I can't even translate it. Basically, it means you you can't talk sense into certain people because okay. they only listen to action and so you have to kick them <laughs> <laughs> into sense. You have to kick sense into them. Well, that that's kind of, that's probably kind of true. That's exactly what they're doing or what they did. I don't, I'm not sure if they're still beating people up. With yeah, grab the broom. <laughs> Someone get the broom. Someone get the broom. That is a very interesting story. And yeah, maybe we'll cover it someday in an episode. To circle back to the question you had asked me at the beginning, why I chose this case today, is because it has so many different layers of injustice and just this feeling that the right thing wasn't done Done. in the case, especially because of the way in which the suspects were shot. Yeah. Now if the cops are saying, hey, they were probably responsible for nine other rapes and murders. Mm Mm-hmm. There's 
actually no justice for them. Because if you in your mind are thinking, okay, they did it, you're closing off those cases, you're not even looking at them anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I felt we should cover this case today, because we need a lot of reform in India as far as the cops are concerned, as far as the pro- procedure uh, goes for evidence collection, because a lot of cops are not even trained in evidence collecting in the science of evidence collection especially dna evidence there are so many cases where you you read and you're so frustrated because you hear that two dozen constables walked all over the crime scene and now you don't have footprints you can't collect dna evidence anymore because they've contaminated the scene Mm -hmm. yes we need a lot of reforms we need more policy in india especially Mm. for these kinds of things related to evidence dna collection course (laughs) making sure the convicts reach the court to receive their sentence so disha's case is a sad one but it may help to bring some change in the system because three constables were suspended because they refused to lodge the case in the first police station and an inquiry commission was put into place to look into those shootings of Mm -hmm. the suspects there may be some change, some improvement in the system because of this case. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we've all had that moment of panic when we were out and about at night and suddenly find ourselves alone and vulnerable, right? Now, this is not endemic to women in India. Crimes no, no, against no. women are quite high all over the world and that fear is unfortunately innately built into us because yeah. you know, of how society treats women. So, so what do you think, Alex? What are your final thoughts? At some point when, you know, I was, since I've been living in Paris, I discovered that they sell like mini bottles of wine Mm -hmm. and they fit perfectly in your purse. I lived in a decent neighborhood, but there was like a side of it, especially if I got out of the metro at that area that I Mm -hmm. always was very aware of my surroundings walking home. Right. It's illegal in Paris to have any kind of weapon even if you use like mace mace you can get almost equally charged wow basically there's some weird law where the response has to match the violence that was like the violence that was shown to you, you shown to, to you yeah weapon. you can, so if someone wow. like tries to rob you but they don't have a weapon and you mace them or try to like you know defend yourself cut them with a knife to defend yourself then you could actually be in more trouble so in my head it was like ah oh, well here's the workaround i'll just take one of these midi bottles of wine and if anyone tries to mess with me i'll just conk them on the head with it no one can say like that i had a weapon on me it's just it's france we like just carry wine around us all the time perfect this is such a good idea, Alex. <laughs> Anyone, uh, you know, listening, if you, if it's legal for you to carry alcohol in your purse, self-defense wine. <laughs> yeah. Buy some self-defense wine. Um, yeah, ladies, keep mini bottles of wine in your purse at all time. Just look angry and mean when it's dark outside. You know, you shouldn't have to do any of those things, but better safe than sorry. What a world we live in. Well, not just a woman, but whoever. If you see people out on the road at night, you know, look out. Look out for each other. Yeah. You never know what's lurking in the dark. That's all we have time for today. You can follow us on social media, especially Instagram, and also visit our website, crimesfromtheeast.com, where I have 
a lot more information about our sources and and yeah, rate us and review us on iTunes. That helps us a lot. It helps spread the word. Uh, check out the Ogilvy campaign at hashtag DNA fights rape. So hashtag DNA fights rape on Facebook and Instagram. It's where's the DNA. Yeah, you can follow Where's the DNA on Instagram if you want to support and be more informed about this campaign. And apparently they're doing drives pledging to make India rape-free. That's one of their goals. So, A worthy cause indeed. Yeah, let's make the world rape-free. Mm-hmm. That's it. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks on another episode of Crimes from the East, your Desi True Crime podcast with a little... Masala and spice. Spice. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you.